Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Tom Hartman, The Majority Report, Ring of Fire, Rachel Maddow, On the Media, The Young Turks, and our new contributor, Le Show. And welcome back, my friends. 34 minutes past the hour. Speaking of high crimes and misdemeanors, speaking of what George W. Bush Sr. called treason... Uh, there was a senior administration official in the White House who leaked the name of a CIA agent, bringing down Brewster Jennings, an entire CIA covert operation, and putting the lives of, possibly ending the lives of CIA officers and agents around the world and informers. We don't know the extent of the damage because the Bush administration will not release the information even to Congress. But we do know that considerable damage was done from the CIA agents who have come out and spoken about this. Who was the senior administration official who leaked this information, speaking of the crimes of the Bush administration? It turns out, according to papers filed today by Patrick Fitzgerald in court, that we have a little better idea of who it was George W. Bush was speaking of when he said that uh, he didn't know who the senior administration official might be who could have leaked the information. Yeah, I don't know. We're going to find out uh, the senior administration official. Now, this is a large administration, and there's a lot of senior officials. I don't have any idea. Well, uh, yeah, okay, he doesn't have any idea. Well, the, uh, the New York Sun has an idea. This is an article by Josh Gerstein, uh, an exclusive for the Sun. A former White House aide under indictment for obstructing a leak probe, I. Lewis Libby, testified to a federal grand jury that he gave information from a closely guarded national security estimate on Iraq. That's uh, also known as leaking classified information, my friends. To a New York Times reporter in 2003 with the specific permission of George W. Bush. The new disclosure could be awkward, writes Gerstein, for the president because it places him, for the first time, directly in a chain of events that led to a meeting where prosecutors contend the identity of a CIA employee, Valerie Plame, was provided to a reporter. He goes on to note, no criminal charges have been brought for the leak itself, but Mr. Libby, a former chief of staff to Vice President Cheney, was indicted in October on charges that he obstructed the investigation, perjured himself in front of the grand jury, and lied to FBI agents who interviewed him. This is what Fitzgerald wrote, quote, defendant, that's Libby, testified that he was specifically authorized in advance of the meeting to disclose the key judgments of the classified NIE to Miller, that's Judith Miller in the New York Times, on that occasion because it was thought that the NIE was pretty definitive against what Ambassador Wilson had said and that the vice president thought that it was, quote, very important, end quote, for the key judgments of the NIE to come out. He goes on to say, Mr. Libby is said to have testified that at first he rebuffed Mr. Cheney's suggestion to release the information because the estimate was classified. However, according to the vice presidential aide, Mr. Cheney subsequently said he got permission for the release directly from Mr. Bush. As Fitzgerald wrote, quote, defendant testified that the vice president later advised him that the president had authorized defendant to disclose the relevant portions of the national intelligence estimate. 
Mr. Libby also told the grand jury that he also sought the advice of the legal counsel to the vice president, David Addington, who indicated that Mr. Bush's permission to disclose the estimate, quote, amounted to a declassify, de- declassification of the document, end quote, according to the new court papers. In other words, Scooter Libby did nothing wrong because it was the president's idea. And if the president says it's okay, it's okay because this is a kingdom after all. Don't you get it? Don't you know? We live in an official theocracy. You talk about freedom. I, I see you assert your your right to to uh, tap my telephone, to uh, to arrest me and hold me without uh, without charges, to yeah, to try to preclude me from from breathing clean air and drinking clean water and eating safe food. If our woman, you'd like to uh, restrict my opportunity to make a choice. I'm not your favorite guy. Go ahead. <laughs> I have never felt more ashamed of nor more frightened by my leadership in Washington, including the presidency, by the Senate and let her say, let her speak. Yeah. Um, and I and I would hope I, I feel like despite your rhetoric, that compassion and and common sense have been left far behind in, during your administration. And and I would hope from time to time that you have the humility and the grace to 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 be ashamed of yourself inside yourself. Well, sir, Harry Taylor of North Carolina, I hope you are a patient man and that your hope springs eternal. Because asking George W. Bush if he's ashamed of himself or if he has any sort of dark night of the soul about the things he does is like, I wish I had a good metaphor, saying to an infant, have you no motor skills? Have you no money I can borrow or a car I can use, infant? It's, I mean, I'm glad that guy said it. Uh, I do. I actually have to admit, I like when George Bush said, "Not your favorite guy." There are moments when George W. Bush does something where I see why people think he's likable. Like when you see the documentary Journeys with George, you go, "There's an affable kind of mid-level manager guy." You know what I mean? Like if he was somebody's dad in your neighborhood, I bet he's super fun. Or if he was a guy that uh, at your company who was your your manager or something like that, you know, he'd probably let you. Leave early for drinks. You know what I mean? Like that kind of a guy. I certainly don't want him in the White House. But having said that, I, I did like what he said. Not your favorite guy. Go ahead. Let him speak. But you did hear the tone in George Bush's voice. Like, yeah, go on. Like, you know. And then there were some people who were against this uh, good citizen, Harry Taylor, who were starting to get uh, upset with him and who cheered the president who are suffering from a condition known as Stockholm Syndrome where the oppressed tries to curry favor with the oppressor. They are the oppressees, those that are in the fan base of of George W. Bush. They love gods and masters and leaders and rules because their inner child actually is also their outer child. They're just grown up big like adults. The Pap Attack.
You know, there was a reason that Alberto Gonzalez didn't have to raise his right hand and swear in as a witness at the NSA wiretapping hearings. His Republican cronies on that committee gave him a free pass to withhold information about just how far George Bush has moved towards creating a police state in America. You see, Gonzalez wanted to limit his testimony to questions about KGB-style wiretapping as it applied to terrorist activity in American citizens. But senators like Patrick Leahy suspected what many Americans suspected, and that is that Alberto Gonzalez and FBI Director Robert Mueller might also be involved with warrantless, illegal, physical searches of people's homes and businesses. Those types of illegal, warrantless, physical searches used to be called black bag jobs. Herbert Hoover created an atmosphere around the FBI during the 1970s where those black bag jobs were being conducted by the thousands all over America, and nobody knew it. Leahy no doubt suspects that the shallow little mind sitting in the Oval Office has such little regard for the Constitution that a return to the Hoover days of illegal warrantless physical searches has become pretty much a given. Google the transcript on the NSA wiretap hearings, and you're going to see a picture of Alberto Gonzalez, who clearly believes that there are virtually no limits on how completely a sitting president can ignore the Fourth Amendment. As you read that transcript, remember that it was Alberto Gonzalez who wrote the opinion that it was perfectly fine for a president to order the torture of military prisoners. It's the same Alberto Gonzalez who wrote a white paper stating that it was his belief that a president, along with the right to torture prisoners, also has an inherent right to be able to break into Americans' homes, their businesses, rifle through their closets, rifle through their drawers, completely without a warrant or any kind of court approval whatsoever. So in that NSA illegal wiretap hearing, Leahy wants to know whether Bush has engaged in exactly that kind of black bag spook activity, and Gonzalez replies that he's not authorized to talk about topics like that. Because the truth is that American citizens who clearly are not terrorists have already become victims of America's new police state. This week, U.S. News and World Report carried a story about a lawyer by the name of Thomas Nelson who complained to the Justice Department that spook operations were being conducted on his home and in his office. Nelson was a target because he represented Solomon Albute, who had been indicted for the illegal activity of his U.S. charity. In other words, along with losing the Fourth Amendment almost entirely under Bush, there are no longer even boundaries on government violations of attorney-client privilege. It's a simple thug, black bag mentality that allows government agents to break into a lawyer's home, break into a lawyer's office, and simply steal what they want without a warrant. Most of us knew that that was where Bush was heading when we saw Brandon Mayfield, an attorney from Oregon, arrested and detained for two weeks without charges, without a lawyer, held in some secret spook house for two weeks before he was released with a lame, dull brain apology from the government saying, golly gee, it was all a mistake. But that was after the government had broken into his house, broken into his office. That was after they had actually seized his son's Spanish homework and labeled it as evidence of illegal terrorist activity. The family for weeks leading up to Mayfield's illegal arrest noticed that someone had been rifling through their underwear drawers and their closets. That's the America that George Bush's Republican henchmen have created for all of us. That's the new paradigm for individual rights in America since the Republicans came to town. And that's why Alberto Gonzalez could not answer Patrick Leahy's question about whether black bag operations are taking place in America every day. No warrants, no probable cause, no judicial oversight. It's a KGB police state that the Republicans have been trying to create ever since they took control of our government, ever since they took control of our judiciary, and sadly enough, ever since they took control of a media that's unwilling 
to cover these very important stories. The Pap Attack on Air America Radio Network. Go to ringoffireradio.com or airamericaradio.com for more info. Air America listeners, let me introduce you to the new captain of the team. His name is Harry Taylor, and he introduced himself to the country yesterday when he rose from the audience at Bush's speech in North Carolina to ask this question. You talk about freedom. I, I see you assert your, your right to, to uh, tap my telephone, to, uh, to arrest me and hold me without, uh, without charges. To yeah. um, yep. try to preclude me from from breathing clean air and drinking clean water and eating safe food. If I'm a woman, you'd like to uh, restrict my opportunity to make a choice. And I'm not your favorite guy. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You're my enemy. Okay, fine. I get it. I understand. I have never felt more ashamed of nor more frightened by my leadership in Washington, including the presidency, by the Senate and. Not let us Let us speak. Um, and I, I would hope, I, I feel like, despite your rhetoric, that compassion and, and common sense have been left far behind during your administration. And, and I would hope from time to time that you have the humility and the grace to, to, to be ashamed of yourself, inside yourself. Wow. Uh, here's Bush's response to Harry Taylor. Members of both parties, both chambers, were fully aware of a program intended to know whether or not al-Qaeda was calling in or calling out of the country. It seems like to make, make sense if we're at war, we ought to be using tools necessary within the Constitution on a very limited basis. This is important where he's going on here about this very limited basis stuff. Here's a little bit more. If we're at war, we ought to be using tools necessary within the Constitution on a very limited basis, a program that's reviewed constantly to uh, protect us. Now, you and I have a different uh, of agreement on what is needed to be protected, but you said, would I apologize for that? The answer, the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, here's the awkward thing. When Bush answered Harry Taylor, a program intended to know whether or not al-Qaeda was calling in are calling out of the country within the Constitution on a very limited basis. The thing he's describing there doesn't actually sound half bad. I mean, who doesn't want the, the government listening in in a limited constitutional way only to calls uh, that are to or from members of al-Qaeda from outside the country in? It sounds great, in fact. Here's the problem. That appears to have nothing to do with what we are actually doing. While Bush was waxing poetic about this limited constitutional al-Qaeda listening program to Harry Taylor, the attorney general, the torture guy, Alberto Gonzalez, was at that very moment testifying on Capitol Hill, telling members of Congress that it's not a program intended to know whether or not al-Qaeda is calling in or calling out of the country within the Constitution on a very limited basis. It's not. In fact, Alberto Gonzalez said he couldn't rule out the idea that our government is just listening in whenever they want to calls between Americans inside the United States. So you can't rule out purely domestic warrantless surveillance between two Americans? I'm not, I'm not going to rule it out. That's Alberto Gonzalez with Democrat Adam Schiff of California. Bush is out there campaigning on, on the basis of and for this program. That sounds reasonable. The only problem is that they're not actually doing anything like what he is describing. And I would hope from time to time that you have the humility and the grace to, to, 
to be ashamed of yourself. Amen. administration is mired in what can only be called a very bad news cycle. A huge development in the CIA lead case today as President Bush is now reported to be a central figure in the investigation. Did the White House practice the opposite of what it preached? The information stopped short of saying whether the president authorized exposing the name of CIA operative Valerie Plain. Leaker in chief? Was it President Bush himself who authorized leaking government secrets for political purposes? This particular cycle was set in motion by the investigation of who within the administration leaked the name of CIA operative Valerie Plame. Special Prosecutor Patrick Fitzgerald has charged Scooter Libby, the vice president's chief of staff, with lying, not leaking. But now Libby's testimony has ripped the lid off a whole new leak, in this case of a once classified document that bolstered the president's claim that Saddam was building weapons of mass destruction. And the ultimate leaker, according to Libby, was the president himself. Josh Gerstein broke the story Thursday morning in the New York Sun. He joins me now from San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Thanks. So just for the record, according to the documents you have, what did Libby say and what didn't he say? He didn't say the president authorized the exposure of Valerie Plame, right? No, he didn't make that allegation. He said that the vice president asked him, meaning asked Libby, to release certain information from a national intelligence estimate on what American intelligence agencies thought were Iraq's weapons of mass destruction capabilities prior to the war. And Mr. Libby claims that he was uncomfortable releasing that information because he thought it was classified at that time, and that the vice president said that he went to the president and got permission to release at least part of that information publicly. And then Mr. Libby went ahead and gave it to Judith Miller, a reporter at The New York Times. Let's go back to the Valerie Plame leak. It's widely assumed that exposing her and thus ending her career was actually a way to get back at her husband, Joseph Wilson, who in The New York Times refuted the president's claim that Saddam Hussein was shopping for uranium in Niger. So what's that leak got to do with this one? Well, uh, there was this muscular effort going on in 2003, especially right after Ambassador Wilson's op-ed piece came out in the New York Times, to try to rebut him. Now, whether it was done strictly with facts or whether it was also done, as I say, in a kind of muscular way to send him a message not to do something like this remains open to debate. But as the White House was discussing these things, uh, there was this process where they said they wanted to release the intelligence estimate on Iraq because they felt it would undercut Mr. Wilson's claims. And the assertion in these court documents is that the president actually authorized Mr. Libby through the vice president to release certain information that until that point had been highly classified. And the strange part about this is that they were to give it only to a specific reporter, namely Judith Miller of the New York Times. Two days after the op-ed piece came out, Mr. Libby went out and met with her at a hotel in Washington and gave her this information. Now, if the plan was to plant this story in the New York Times, it didn't work out because Ms. Miller never wrote a story about this and, in fact, never wrote a story uh, about Mr. Wilson and 
his wife and the fact that his wife worked at the CIA. So it could be that Mr. Libby and Mr. Cheney, who are not known at being great hands in dealing with the press, just uh, blew this one. I know the president's counsels are claiming, the president and the vice president's claim, that they were within their rights to declassify anything they want, that the executive, the president, has that right. But that isn't a settled question, is it? We don't know whether the president actually did anything illegal, do we? Well, it's not entirely clear, although I think it's unlikely that the president did anything illegal here because the special prosecutor who has shown every sign of being dogged so far hasn't made that suggestion anywhere. The greater concern that you hear from more people is whether the president acted ethically here and whether he acted hypocritically, because he has gone out on many occasions and said that it is terrible to leak sensitive classified information. It hurts the war on terror, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a little hard to understand how the president can make those statements condemning others who do that when he himself apparently shortcut a process to declassify this information and went ahead and released it in a somewhat underhanded way to a specific reporter. It's a very strange process from a fellow who has often been very high and mighty on the subject of leaks. Now, as far as we know, uh, Investigator Fitzgerald is solely examining the plame leak. Could his investigation be broadened to examine the larger question of whether intelligence was mishandled to bolster the administration's case for war? Uh, I doubt it. Uh, He's a pretty uh, cut-and-dried prosecutor. He likes to look into legal questions about whether laws were violated. I suppose you could say he's broadened his probe a little bit in that he hasn't brought any charges in connection with that original leak. Instead, he's charged Mr. Libby with lying to investigators, with obstructing the investigation, and with perjury. But I don't think that Mr. Fitzgerald is interested in converting his investigation to sort of a broad examination of uh, everything that went on in the lead-up to the war, because that would turn his investigation into a purely political football, and uh, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's interested in that. All right, Josh, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Josh Gerstein is a national reporter for the New York Sun. But George Bush apparently authorizing the leak of classified information uh, if it can be proved, that also would be a crime. Uh, but uh, the president has said earlier that, you know, if he finds out anybody's leaking information and it's a crime, there's going to be a price to pay inside that White House. Let's throw some old clips from the president here, Jr. If there's a leak out of my administration, I want to know who it is. Uh, and uh, if the person has violated law, the person will be taken care of. I wonder if he's going to take care of himself. Also, look, you know, but like maybe it's like the, you know, in the Sopranos when you watch the or any mob movie, but uh, you know, the Sopranos relevant today. When they say somebody's going to be taken care of, that can mean taken care of, like uh, uh, Adriana. Uh huh. Can be two in the head. Taken care of can also be like Tony's been shot. We got to make sure we take care of his wife. Mm-hmm. Take care of yeah, Carmela. Yeah, they got to take care of Carmela. So this person will be taken care of, like promoted. <laughs> Well, promoted, it, given a pay raise, and protected from prosecution. Well, I'm just going to ask, um, are we going to see the same? Are you, I've never realized that a president has so many inherent um, authorities as, as President Bush does. And I think way back when, in one of the hearings, Alberto Gonzalez had mentioned that uh, the president has the in- inherent authority to decide who should have classified information. So, I mean, is that his, his loophole? Well, he thought it was okay. Uh, no, by the way, Jill, that's a great question. This is a defense that they use with a warrantless wiretapping to some degree, and they're going to use in this case as well, which is 
the same exact defense that Richard Nixon used. If the president does it, it's legal. Right. And that is not an excuse. That is not true. That is not legal. Now the it didn't work for Nixon. It shouldn't work for Bush. The, as president, uh, what I'm reading here, and I, and I don't know enough about it, and I'm sure the law is more complicated than this one sentence. As president, Bush has the authority to release any classified document. Inherent. But that means release. That probably means release and declassify. That uh, There is a procedure in which to do yeah, that. Yeah, there's a procedure in which to do that. I don't suspect the president. The procedure can... isn't, hey, Libby, go leak it to, leak it to, to our friend Judy Gonzalez, Miller. George Bush has the inherent authority to play God. No, but I, I don't. I, I see this as not a, a how we caught him in another breaking of the law. I see it more as a terrible political damage and blatant hypocrisy of saying that this is going to be the no-leak White House, which he said during the 2000 campaign, and then he's leaking information. The important thing is what he leaked information about. Mm -hmm. He leaked information to lead us into a war we had no business fighting, a war that he knew the information was not overwhelming, and leaked tiny bits of information to present that information as overwhelming. And let's, you know, we don't talk enough about the number. Because it seems reactionary, and it seems like Chris Matthews might call me a left-wing wacko. Like, 50,000 people are dead because he released this information. 50,000 Iraqis. Yeah, and well, US, I was counting it as about 47,000 Iraqis, right. you know? And because he lied about this stuff, or, you know, misled us deliberately, however you want to say it. No, no, Ben, you're wrong. He cares about catching the people responsible for this. Yeah. This is the president earlier again. I would like this to end as quickly as possible so we know the facts. And if someone committed a crime, they will no longer work in my administration. <laughs> well, because That's it gonna might be no longer be your administration. He's going to fire himself. You know, it's weird. <laughs> I think he'll stand in me and be like, you're fired. No, you're fired. <sighs> I always want to say that. You know, I don't know uh, how this is going to shake out because it's weird. There have been many more, uh, I think, things that this administration has done that have been far more egregious than leaking information because that's sort of par for the course. But the fact that they were like, this will not be a leak administration and I'll fire anybody responsible for a leak, this could be more damaging politically than almost anything else. if there's any gold worth panning for among today's top stories. Eureka! The first story on today's Rachel Maddow Show front page is about the new revelations that tie the president directly, personally, individually, to the Rovac Gate case, to the, to the first indictment of a serving White House official since the administration of Ulysses S. Grant. Here's the basics, right? Scooter Libby. Cheney's top staffer, chief of staff, got indicted. He was indicted for lying to the grand jury... The grand jury was investigating who told reporters that Valerie Wilson, Valerie Plame, uh, was a covert CIA operative. That's what the grand jury was looking into when Scooter Libby lied to them, which got him indicted. Um, Valerie Wilson, Valerie Plame, her husband, Joe Wilson, had alleged uh, in a New York Times op-ed piece that the rationale for going to war in Iraq was BS. Uh, that he personally had been the guy who checked out that claim. Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. Joe Wilson said that he went to Africa uh, and checked it out himself. And he said it was BS. And he reported that it was BS to the, to the White House. But the White House kept saying it anyway. Published that in the New York Times, very embarrassing to the White House. And in retaliation to try to discredit Joe Wilson, someone started telling reporters that Joe Wilson's wife worked for the CIA. 
That, of course, ended Joe Wilson's wife's career at the CIA, possibly put her in danger, uh, and, and certainly undermined America's national security interests in keeping our covert CIA operatives covert, right? So that's the basics here. Scooter Libby was indicted, as I said, for lying. One of the things he lied about, according to the indictment, is that he told the grand jury that he never mentioned the name of Joe Wilson's wife, never said the word Valerie, when he met with a reporter two days after Joe Wilson's piece ran in the New York Times. It was two days after the piece ran. It was a meeting at the St. Regis Hotel in Washington, D.C. And he said, he told the grand jury that he didn't mention the word Valerie there. The reporter who he met with and prosecutors say he did. That's why he got indicted. At that meeting with that reporter, two days after Joe Wilson's piece ran in the New York Times, at the St. Regis in Washington, D.C., Scooter Libby had in his hot little hand at that meeting a classified document, a piece of the National Intelligence Estimate, which he leaked at that meeting to a reporter. National Intelligence Estimate classified. It said that Saddam was trying to get uranium. And what we learned yesterday from court filings in the Scooter Libby case is that Scooter Libby leaked that classified document to a reporter that day because George W. Bush told him to. It was authorized by the president himself. The president authorized leaking classified information to a reporter to settle a political score, to retaliate against Joe Wilson. The White House thus far not denying it. several years, it's been the job of the Republican talking heads to chastise any American who didn't blindly follow the wandering mind of this inept president or support his policies. And they claimed that Republican critics only represented a small fringe of the population, a fringe that they said shouldn't even be acknowledged. We've all heard the backwoods good old boys chant their mindless Republican catchphrases like some worn-out sitcom character whose only claim to fame is a cheesy one-liner. We've had to listen to their if-you-don't-like-America-then-you-can-get-out rhetoric for the last five years. Well, if you're listening to Ring of Fire somewhere outside of America because you couldn't stomach those Republican Cro-Magnums anymore, the good news is you can come back to America now because these days there's a new fringe in America. And it's not the peaceful protesters or the so-called angry left. The new fringe consists of people like Bill O'Reilly, Ann Coulter, Rush Limbaugh, and America's Republican Congress. Today in the U.S., it's actually more American to disprove of the policies of the Bush administration than it is to support them. While Rush was busy popping pain pills and O'Reilly was sexually harassing his employees, America was slowly waking up. You see, Americans are beginning to see that supporting America doesn't mean blindly supporting the president. Even the corporate media is beginning to understand that. Bush's approval rating has consistently fallen below the 40% mark since the start of this year, and Cheney has a better chance of shooting a bird than he does cracking that 20% approval rating. On issues that Americans consider important, like the economy, the war on terror, and health care, Bush's numbers are edging to the abyss. And as for the Republican leadership in Congress, Americans no longer trust the those people and issues such as credibility in 
honesty are poll numbers that tell us that DeLay can resign, Rove, Frist, Bob Nye, and Scooter Libby could all go away tomorrow, and the Republicans are still damaged goods in the eyes of the American public. Support for the president's failing war on terror has reached a low below 40%. And if you don't believe that the Republican Party's in trouble, think again. Even the Republican leaders in Congress have begun to distance themselves from the president. But it's a last-ditch effort for a party that's barely hanging on to its fading political clout. The president's trying desperately to convince people that we're actually winning the war in Iraq, even though the country's no closer to being a democracy than the ape house at the zoo, and American lives are lost on nearly a daily basis. But what What's different today is that Americans are starting to acknowledge all that. Compare where Bush is now to where Clinton was during the same point in his presidency. At this time in Clinton's presidency, his approval rating was almost 70%. Bush is currently at 36% on a good day. And what's remarkable is that Clinton was right in the middle of the Monica Lewinsky scandal. In fact, by the end of the scandal and impeachment, Clinton had actually jumped to a 73% approval rating, more than twice of what Bush has now, and this was after Clinton had been impeached. And what really must have Republican pollsters creeped out is that every time George gets in front of a crowd and opens his mouth, his poll ratings drop. It's as if a curtain's been lifted, and at last the overwhelming majority of Americans now see a bumbling fraud behind the curtain. Americans are coming out of their 9-11 shock and beginning to see just how corrupt and how dangerously incompetent the Bush administration really is. When you add up the numbers, the truth becomes overwhelmingly obvious even to Republican ditto heads who choose to stay inside their protective Bush-loving bubbles. But the majority of Americans don't trust Republicans anymore. The majority of Americans don't support the war anymore. And most importantly, the majority of Americans don't like the way this country's going right now. As incredible as it might seem, the numbers show that the majority of Americans would support a call for impeachment of George Bush. The Republican blind loyalists have truly become the new creepy fringe of U.S. politics. In fact, one-time Bush supporters have peeled those black W stickers off their Humvees and SUVs about six months ago. So now, with the stickers that are still on the car, it's really to make note of who's still part of that feeble fringe that seems completely incapable of admitting just how badly they screwed up in the last presidential election. The Pap Attack on Air America Radio Network. Go to ringoffireradio.com or airamericaradio.com for more info. statements from the Boston Globe when President Bush signed the reauthorization of the Patriot Act this month he included an addendum saying he did not feel abide obliged to obey requirements that he inform Congress about how the FBI was using the acts expanded police powers the bill did contain several oversight provisions intended to make sure the FBI did not abuse the special terrorism related powers to search and seize the provisions require the Justice Department to keep closer track of how often the FBI uses the new powers. 
Bush signed the bill with fanfare, calling it a piece of legislation that's vital to win the war on terror. But after the reporters and guests left, the White House quietly issued a signing statement, an official document in which the president lays out his interpretation of a new law. In the statement, Bush said he did not consider himself bound to tell Congress how the Patriot Act powers were being used, and despite the law's requirements, he could withhold the information if he decided the disclosure would impair foreign relations, national security, the deliberative process of the executive, or the express written consent of the National League. No, or the parliament performance of the executive's constitutional duties. The statement represented the latest in a string of high-profile instances in which Bush has cited his constitutional authority to bypass a law. When Congress passed a law forbidding the torture of any detainee in U.S. custody, Bush signed the bill but issued a signing statement declaring that he could bypass the law if he believed using harsh techniques was necessary to protect national security. In other words, he signs them and he crosses his fingers. Torture is torture no more. The ceiling is now It's amazing what you can do If you don't mind the cost Just as long as your fingers are crossed The law is the law, so they say Torture is torture no more. 
The ceiling is now on the floor. It's amazing what you can do if you don't mind the cost. Just as long as your fingers are crossed. Thanks for listening, everybody, and welcome to all of the new listeners to the show. I'm not sure where you're all coming from, but it's great to have you on board. If this is the first time, or um, or nearly the first time, you've been listening to the show, let me catch you up a little bit. For the month of April, as I'm recording this, I am urging all of my listeners to uh, write reviews in iTunes for me. So if you like what you hear, it would be an enormous uh, help to me to help spread the word about the show, get even more listeners. Uh, if you would go, uh, well, the easiest way I think is probably just go to the website bestoftheleftpodcast.com and there's a link that says uh, leave a review in iTunes or something very much to that effect. Click that. It'll take you right to the page in iTunes. You can leave a review, long or short, doesn't matter. Preferably um, positive and glowing, but uh, I guess it doesn't have to be. It, it, that would just be nice. But um, I know I've been, for everyone else, I've been asking, you know, a lot for uh, for reviews and I, it's not going to be forever just uh just until i get enough or till the end of the month whichever comes first it's pretty simple just if you if you like what you're hearing just do me the favor help me spread the word of course if you would prefer to tell me all about how much you hate the show you can do that in a couple of different ways go to the website, find a link to send me an email, or just type in manually hippiesympathizer at gmail.com, or you can do the thing that I always forget to mention, go to the message board, find that through the website, click the link to the best of the left community, and uh, respond to the show, or just introduce yourself and, you know, let me... Let me know who's out there. I always enjoy finding out about all the people listening. And I think that's all I have for you today. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>